The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield, and here with John Cuna. Today, we're going to be discussing staying healthy in Web three, and we're also going to discuss NFTs, which is the hot button term. You're either for them or against them. Pretty much no in between, which we'll talk about a little bit. So, anyone who's you know, we're doing this Twitter on Twitter Spaces, which is our first time doing it. Um, so, we're going to start to do this a little bit more and more, just to uh, make sure people start to. Um, to see us doing that in case they want to join in and, and listen in live or we might try to do it a little bit more interactive as we go so that at the end there's a Q&A portion you know I think we're pretty bullish on that in general just trying to create community and be able to create settings where more people can talk together about these topics um, that's that's one benefit of, of social media and of the internet and of web3 which we're going to talk about so we're going to be doing that more and more this is our first time doing it so there's going to we're in the same room we're in the podcast studio right we've never uh, we always record it, but we've never done it live before. So there might be some uh, mute, unmute kind of things we're going to figure out as we go. But like anything good, you just got to fall and figure it out on the way, right? Um, so anyone listening, you know, to on Twitter Spaces or uh, you know when we record this and put it up on on Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts later, it's probably going to say like, how does this relate to sports, right? Because our mission of this podcast is usually looking at uh, at mental health through the lens of sports and professional athletes. Um, by the way, we got a few professional athletes coming on the podcast in the next uh, next couple, probably I would say four to five weeks. We have two in particular, which we'll get to. But so, how does this relate to sports? Well, I would say we'll get to this a little bit more later. But NFT communities are kind of like sports fandoms, uh, believe it or not. Like I didn't know much about NFTs until about four or five weeks ago. I started uh, doing a deep dive, really around the holidays. I had a little bit of spare time. I forced myself to disconnect, uh, you know, get a little more more balance for myself. And how did I spend that time? I, I just dove deep into learning more about this stuff and um because i had started to hear it from enough really smart people that i'm like all right like this is i just have to you know keep an open mind to get into this a little bit um so it's really like the best it's kind of like the best of NF, uh, nft communities i would say are the best of sports fandoms but without a lot of the worst stuff right um so everyone's very supportive they're they're definitely joined for like a common cause they're enthusiastic you know they're i mean they're together right but there's no like territoriality, or at least not from what I've seen so far. Um, so I think that's one of the benefits. Um, so before we get into that kind of stuff, we're going to intro ourselves a little bit. Uh, and then I'm going to kick it to you to go into the outline of what we're going to get into today. Um, so John, maybe I'll kick it to you first. Just talk about your background, um, you know, as a mental health professional. And, and then I'll talk about myself a little bit too. Sure. So I'm happy to be doing this. Um, this is really exciting to be putting ourselves on to, to Twitter and just be accessing more people, which has always been our biggest vision of like, just trying to help as many people as possible. So it's great to be able to sort of continue to expand. So um, I feel like when I talk about my like journey into this space, I feel like I've always been a therapist um, my whole life. And so 
Um, I, I was sort of was always like the helper. I always was, you know, peer leader, mentor, stuff like that. Always kind of around in that place. I've always just was been drawn to helping people. Um, <clears throat> just took me until my mid twenties to figure out that I could like do that for uh, do that for a living. Um, but I was a lifelong athlete. I ran I ran track. I played soccer. Tried lacrosse. That ended in uh, shattered collarbone. So put put my cleats up uh, on the shelf after that one. Um, but track and field was sort of like my gateway. That was like my joy, my happy place and followed that all the way into college. Um, and did, did pretty well and was really, really competitive, um, at, at that field. And, um, and then my junior year tore my hamstring and that was it. And, um, sort of a career ender both physically, but I, I honestly would feel like it really more of a mental injury that cost me my continued career. I kind of spiraled after that, didn't really know what was up, um, and was just sort of like lost. I was sort of the very typical performer that I hear a lot or sports person that I hear a lot of that, um, you know, once they lose their ability to perform, they like don't know who they are. Um, and that was me. I was like the poster child for that and responded pretty terribly to that. And so now I get to be in a position that I get to help people similar to me and that, that go through that experience, um, which is real, which is really great. Um, so I went to, went to Leslie for my master's, graduated and worked in Boston, um, inner city school in Boston for two years. That was mainly like trauma reactive work, which was really just difficult and getting kids access to services outside of the, um, like in the community and then worked in Lexington for about almost five years. Um, and it was sort of like two completely different worlds. Um, but found that I was missing like the clinical piece and the sports angle stuff. And that's what kind of brought me back to, to, to be doing this type of stuff, which is why this podcast is really exciting because it's like a unification of, what I've always felt like I've been and like a deep passion. So I get to like do everything that I want to be able to do, which is really nice. Um, and as I dove deeper into, especially the sports piece, I found that there is a huge need and a huge gap. So being able to provide these types of talks and to talk to different people and to come at mental health from an angle of, of athletics and sports is, is awesome because I think that especially now the need is really high and the awareness and the stigmas, um, the awareness is higher and the stigma is down. Absolutely. No, well, well said. And you left out the fact that you were an All-American track athlete. I mean, you know, you got to throw that out there. Okay, You got to brag about that stuff when you get those. Um, so my, my story is not the same as your. I mean, I was an athlete growing up, but I, I never, you know, mine was like ended at high school. Let's just say that. Right. And it never at the level that you were at. Uh, I went into architecture school. So I got a degree in architecture. I worked in that field for two years. It was around 2007 when I got out and, you know, it was tough to find a job in that field as you, for obvious reasons around that time. I think it was a blessing in disguise. I realized that, um, you know, one, I was not on the path to success in that field. I was struggling big time. And two, I, you know, talking to more of my friends that went to school for architecture with me, I didn't think I'd be happy. You know, I really didn't think I'd be happy. And that's a, that's a tough moment. I think a lot of people out there, if they're switching careers, you know, it can be hard when you get to that crossroads where you're like, damn, I just spent how many years and how much money on a degree that I'm now not you know, in the moment, it feels like you're not going to use it. Um, that's hard, right? And so that pivot for, for a, you know, a little bit was kind of a, a, a hit to the gut. And, and then, you know, you pick yourself up and you move on. And I feel I realized that I thought I'd be help. I'd be happier helping people, right? So I started volunteering um, with uh, at risk, um, at risk youth in inner city, Boston. Uh, I loved it. You know, I felt like connected to that work and being able to help people in areas where they were struggling. I uh, went back to grad school, you know, got my master's degree, and and started um, started a private practice, and that's how you and I met, right? You and I met um, talking about male mental health, youth male mental health, 
knowing that um, it wasn't the, the issue that still exists around that. It was not going to be solved by us just being individual practitioners siloed in private practice. You know, we need, we wanted to build something bigger um, to help more people. And we thought that the only way we'd be able to do that is to partner up and then bring a more other, other people onto the team that are passionate about this as well. Um, which we have done, right? We, we grew riser and tread. We started riser and tread in 2019. It's now, um, you know, 15 people, right? And, um, we're proud of that, right? So that, that has brought us to now, we, we started this podcast to be able to help more people for free. We're looking for free ways to help people. Um, and ultimately, you know, that, that's what brought us here in year one. It was about looking at mental health through the lens of sports. Um, we did that pretty well. I think we told a lot of athletes, we tried to, um, you know, amplify athlete stories and be able to show what they went through from a mental health perspective to be able to educate people a little bit more about some mental health topics in year two. I think we're going to get into, you know, the gaps, right? We talk a lot about um, the gaps of education, the gaps in learning uh, and how you are going to learn a lot of things in school, but there's a lot of gaps missing in terms of what you could learn in general, not necessarily in school, but what you could learn in general that could help um, with, you know, overall life as an adult and relationships and uh, things like that. Emotional intelligence, we're big on stuff like that. So, you know, ultimately, um, why are we doing this on a podcast on Twitter in Twitter spaces, well, we just wanted to be able to connect with more people uh, and be able to have a more interactive approach, right? Because we can always record this podcast like we're still doing now, put it up later. Uh, but we wanted to be able to have a, a scenario where people are going to you know, have a Q&A at the end and they can actually ask us questions about mental health related topics, right? So it could be about what we're discussing today. It could be about uh, other mental health questions. I think the only limit to what we're probably going to um, be careful on is anything trauma related we're not going to get into because it, uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so, but ultimately we're, we're pretty bullish on the role community group and community has on mental health, especially as a huge gap for guys, right? We do in, in a lot of individual work, coaching and, and therapy, but we've added a lot of groups, um, you know, young guy groups at our company, uh, because we want to be able to create a setting where young guys can talk to each other, uh, in a structured environment about mental health. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we think that's a missing piece right now, whether that ends up happening in the, in the metaverse, we'll talk about, I'm not sure. Uh, I think there's some risks and some possible advantages, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, for sure. So I'm going to kick it to you right now, John, just to do the, the outline for today. Yeah, great. Um, <clears throat> some of the stuff we're going to get into, like you had mentioned, sort of the idea of like mental health in the metaverse. What does that mean? Where are we going with that? Um, then sort of staying healthy in web three and how to do that, where are the pitfalls and things to be looking at, um, and to be aware of, and then really diving into like the NFT space, um, and some of your favorite projects and things like that. I will wholeheartedly raise my hand as an NFT newbie. So I'm also looking forward to hearing a lot of these different things too. Um, it's a newer, it's a newer sphere for me. So um, looking forward to, to having some of that. And then at the end of that, um, for any listeners who have questions or who are things for, for us, we're, we're relating to some of the stuff that we've talked about. Um, we'll be able to, t to take some Q and A's at the end of this, at the end of this podcast here. Awesome. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, you know the upcoming podcast episodes we have. So we talked about how we want to really focus the, in this year or two of the Grim Drive podcast on you know the gaps uh, in terms of learning, and that relates to a lot of work you've done, John, on on uh, the concept of prehab. Right? Not everything related to mental health is about reactionary things. Right? When things have gone wrong, how do we pick ourselves up and and you know stop the slide? That's definitely part of it. But a lot of it is more and more. It's about how do you proactively put in the work that's going to keep you in a good place. And we're going to 
really focus on the the gaps and learning aspect of that because you can't do what you don't know, right? And so it's not like we're taught all this stuff in school. We're not talking about taught about emotional intelligence really. I think they're starting getting to get into that a little bit in schools, but um, there's a lot of gaps in terms of what we're not going to learn in school, and that those are the gaps we want to be able to educate on because we think it's going to help people with the proactive prehab kind of approach to their day to day lives. Um, so that's one thing. Twitter Spaces is definitely going to be something we're going to use more and more. We're not sure how to do that yet, right? We have it on Twitter Spaces right now. Um, we're going to leave a Q&A at the end for people who want to ask questions. We might just end up doing, you know, open forum, you know, half hours or hours uh, at some time of every week or something like that for people to just ask questions the whole time. We might do this combo where we do a podcast episode and then we leave Q&A. Uh, we'll try to get feedback from people in terms of what they think works best. Um, and we'll figure that out as we go. because I don't think we know the answer to that yet. Uh, we also have a couple at pro athletes coming on the podcast in the next, um, you know, four to six weeks. We have a pro, I'm not going to say their names yet, but we have a pro wrestler who's going to come on the podcast. We also have an NBA player who's going to come on the podcast. Uh, and so we're just getting those scheduled right now. We're pretty excited about that. Um, we're also going to do an episode on digital assessment. So this is something where John, you've done a lot of work with clients on, you know, understanding how to assess their digital lives and, and being more intentional about it, more balanced with what they do, instead of just going off emotional impulse and dopamine release and all the other things that we're, we're all, um, you know, prone to as human beings, not, not, there's not one of us that's not prone to doing that. Uh, so that's an episode where I think we're going to, de- that's definitely going to be on Twitter live. I think even the episode, um, the interviews with the, with the pro wrestler and the pro uh, NBA player, we're going to have those try, we're going to try to make those be on Twitter live as well so that, you know, the audience can kind of listen in and then ask questions to that person at the end as well. Um, so that's, you know, a quick snapshot of, snapshot of what we're doing for the upcoming podcast episodes. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what's in store for Riser and Tread in the next year? Yeah, I think we, we always joke, we've got like a million things going on. I think, you know, our biggest, our biggest charge right now is like expansion so that we can be meeting as many people as possible and trying to do that in different ways. And I think some of the stuff you've already touched on, I think one of the bigger gaps for male mental health is like the group component of having a bunch of guys in the room talking about what their experiences is and sharing those experiences with one another. Um, can't tell you, and I know you've, you've, I'm sure you can relate to this, the amount of times that, it, you know, I'm sitting with a client and, and you know, one-on-one in a space and if they had just, if they could just hear another individual who's like, I n- understand what you're going through, like that light bulb moment, that light switch thing would start to happen. And so, um, rather than sort of like hearing it from me as the therapist, hearing it from a from a peer who's going through something similar, the the power is profound in that space. That space. So, really looking to like continue to expand that um, that project there too. Um, some of the other, th- and you know, we're really looking to sort of expand Riser and Tread. So we're looking to open up new offices around South Shore. Um, possibly into different into different states as we sort of continue to expand and grow <clears throat> ultimately with the 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 vision and the purpose of being able to help as many people as possible um and then what you had mentioned too is trying to sort of educate and fill in the gaps that we don't learn and you know one thing i think is that always happens is when we talk about education it always ends up falls on like the shortcomings in schools and i don't necessarily think or believe that some of the stuff that we'll talk about when we get into like providing this is a gap necessarily needs to be in schools. Um, I think there's probably some stuff that we could talk about um, that would be really important. But I think that's going to be one of our biggest charges as like providing 
the space, providing the education around the stuff that you're just not being educated on. Um, and then some of the other stuff that we're really looking to, to do is expand some of our programs um, and really try to hit the ground running and gather more um, people there. So, um, for example, the sports performance and recovery program, we're really looking to expand that, get ourselves into schools, um, get ourselves in front of coaches, individuals, organizations, really trying to expand that as a program to, to meet as many people as possible. Um because the time is now, especially in athletics, we can't turn a corner without hearing another professional athlete talking about the importance of mental health. And um, so that's that's something that we're really looking to to try to expand um, as well, sort of in our, you know, ultimately, I think you and I always talk about this too, that like all of our decisions of what we're looking to do with Riser and Tread is, is built on the foundation of helping as many people as possible. And so that is, continues to be our main charge of all the things that we have that are that's going on, I think. This type of platform is something that we're looking to expand as well, too. Like we're looking to gain a following and gain more people to listen so that they can spread some of the stuff that we're doing and just meet and reach more people um, to be able to provide some of that stuff, too. Um, and like you said, two years ago, it was you and me. And now it's at 15 and we're looking to continuously expand our um, the professionals and the people that we bring into our into our team because ultimately if we have more diverse people in our team, they can serve the diverse population of people that, that, that surround us. So that's another big piece of what we're looking, looking to do. Um, and, you know, I know you'll talk a little bit about some of the other things that are going on that, that you're really leading the charge on. Um, but those are some of the bigger, those are some of the bigger pieces that we're really looking to try to continuously expand upon. I think we also are trying to <clears throat> rewrite the model of what a mental health practice firm looks like um and really try i think there's a lot of existing a lot of existing companies that are out there um and i think that they're you know i think some of them are i think some of the older ones are kind of struggling a little bit and so i think we've really spent a lot of time trying to understand how we want to build this so that our clinicians are happy that our culture is good that it's team oriented it's not siloed um, and I think, you know, this year, especially we're really going to be able to roll out some really fun, cool things, um, for our company to, to continuously try to replicate the model that we've got going on right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think with riser and tread, you know, we're so passionate about working in the, the youth male mental health area. I think we've worked with hundreds of guys, you know, over the last, I mean, collectively last, what, 15, 20 years. Uh, we want to do more of that. We have a nonprofit that we're, we've started. That's going to be a two-part competition that's all about engaging graduate-level students, uh, you know, when it comes to creativity and entrepreneurship and the ability for when you harness those things, how can they solve difficult problems, particularly in mental health. Um, so we might have an NFT component to that, and we're still planning that. We might actually do, I actually try to engage, like, the um, the Twitter community around getting people in to, to give us some ideas about how to best do that. Because we're, I mean, that that is something we haven't even, like, planned yet. And we, have, we do have a photographer and he's going to create, um, you know, custom photography for that nonprofit, um, you know, for that competition. And we're going to turn those into NFTs. We know that we're going to do that. But how we do it, we're not sure yet. And it would be great to engage uh, sort of more people on Twitter on how to best do that. So maybe we'll get into a quick outline, um, you know, for today. You want, want to start with that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we talked about like mental health in the metaverse and we'll do a deeper dive into that. I kind of want to just give a just a brief umbrella understanding of like mental health and, and what that kind of means. I think, you know, we, it's a, it's a more used word. It's a more used um, phrase and it's being sort of tossed around a lot more frequently, which is, 
you know, we talk about this all the time. It's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing that people are talking about it, but it also brings up a lot of dangers of for people who maybe not have a full understanding or misuse language when it doesn't necessarily mean that. And so when I think of mental health, I think of it as like an entire umbrella. So there's mental health, there's mental illness, there's there's a discrepancy between the, the, the two. I see mental health as sort of like one of the three main pillars of health mm-hmm. in general. Um, you know, nutrition, mental health, exercise, physical health, like those types of things I see as like the big three pillars um, of support and health. Um, and so when I talk about mental health, I think about it more of like a general sense um, of what are you doing to help with your mental health um, so that it doesn't sort of bleed into mental illness, right? I think mental health are things that you want to be doing proactively every day. And you brought up prehab, and that's a big term of what I'm trying to really educate people on is that our, especially in sports, it, we are still so heavily reliant on rehab as a form of protection and um for for athletes or for just anyone who gets who goes through injury that we sort of wait for something to go wrong and then try to repair it afterwards and i just don't see that as an effective way for treatment i think that i am the living proof that it doesn't work um when i went through rehab i you know i went through you know strength training and pt and things like that but ultimately, I decided not to come back, and because I wasn't in a, I wasn't in the right headspace for it. I was angry, I was upset, I was lost, I was all of these different things. And had I had someone teaching me preventative skills and doing prehabilitation, I don't know what my, I don't know what the outcome of what my career could have looked like. It could have been different. I'm thankful that it wasn't. I'm grateful that it wasn't because I get to be here and now learn from that to be able to educate people on that in general. Um, so that I think that's something that is you know, the, the, is a big difference in, in mental health. When I think of it, I really try to promote the idea of prehab mental health rather than rehabilitation. I think we still see this all the time. People coming into our offices or coming to our practice are looking for, Hey, something isn't right. Right. I, I don't feel good. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. I'm, you know, X, Y, or Z, um, rather than, Hey, I'm feeling pretty good, but I would really like to do some preventative measures or like I'd really like to be proactive so that Mm -hmm. if if something comes up, I kind of have an understanding of what I can do afterwards. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that term mental health, what, you know, it's definitely broad. uh, And there is just seem to be this kind of movement within the mental health uh, profession amongst people who, you know, I guess that term annoys them or it's not good enough or whatever. I think to me, like, yes, it's broad. And Maybe it's overused, but I think to me that's a sign that it's being said a lot, right? If it's being said a lot, that means that's a good thing. That means people are taking it seriously. Like if you, no one was complaining about mental health being a, a too frequently used, too broad term five years ago. Why? Because the stigma was up there, uh, very high, and people didn't want to talk about it as much. It was still uh, there was still a barrier to that conversation. So the fact that people are complaining about you know how broad and overused mental health as a term is, and they're competing about you know it should be called mindfulness or it should be called this. To me, that's a good sign. It means that this this is a term, uh, a concept that's being talked about a lot, enough to annoy some people. That's a good sign to me. Um, so maybe we'll get into like you know when it comes to that first concept of of uh, you know what does mental health in the metaverse mean? To me, there's like two kind of things, uh, two possible meanings. There's mental health service delivery in Web three, and then there's mental health of the people in Web three, right? Individuals and, and collectively. I think those are two, they're, they're definitely related, but they're two kind of separate areas that kind of interest me. Um, 
So let's talk about mental health service delivery in terms of what that's going to look like in Web3. Because I think that's going to be interesting to see that unfold. You know, like you, you hear a lot from the people in the Web3 community or people that talk about NFTs or Web3 that it's the wild, wild west. Right. Because it is like it's unfolding very rapidly. And there's, you know, it's intentionally most of it is intentionally decentralized. Right. And all the so it makes it so that there's not a whole lot of rules involved. And, and that can be exciting. It can also be kind of risky. So we don't know how this is going to unfold from a mental health service delivery perspective. Right. Is there going to be a therapy building in the metaverse? Right. We, we know how we feel about the therapy building, John, like in, uh, in terms of brick and mortar in IRL, as the kids say, uh, in real life. We're not in the therapy building, right? If, if, you know, we try to find the buildings that have a mix of other things because we, we want that stigma to be down and we feel like it should it belongs amongst everything else, right? So I don't know how therapy is going to look uh, in terms of, you know, in the metaverse, whether there there is digital land you can buy in the metaverse, right? They're going to build Web3 communities on top of that digital land. I, that's still something that's a bit over my head. I'm going to try to learn about that more. Uh, but how therapy unfolds in the metaverse is, is going to be interesting. I think there's like, definitely some risk factors here right there's risks and there's possible advantages so i'll talk about the risks first and then i'll get into what i think are the possible advantages so in terms of the risks all right so the three risks i see uh, one is mental health is a massive market which i'll get to two is the pseudonymous service delivery right so so you know people who are under not their real name right some kind of second alias name um in terms of if those people are delivering mental health services that's a risk which we'll talk about and then the third one is accountability and safety, right? So I'll get to those three. So let's start with the mental health of the massive market, right? So why is that a factor? Like there's a lot of people trying to crack the code on mental health as a market. This this was already happening in the last few years before the whole like Web3 became a thing that's going to continue to be even bigger, uh, a bigger thing. Um, there's a lot of that. That can be a good thing, right? And, and it can be a risk, right? Why is it a good thing? Well, it means if there's a lot of people and money going into the mental health market, there is the potential to help more people. There's the potential to push ideas and advance concepts that help, uh, you know, help outcomes when it comes to mental health and people's mental health. So that's good. But there's also some risks, right? There's a lot of VC money, a lot of sharks in this landscape, startup companies. There's what I call tab or therapist as a brand, right? And so we're, I, you might be, you know, people listening might be like, well, aren't you guys trying to be a brand that kind of thing? I would say no, right? I think our, we're trying to make our mission a brand, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our mission of youth male mental health, that is our, that is a brand that we're passionate about, but we're not trying to make ourselves as individuals a brand. If anything, I, I know we've talked about this. I just doing a podcast is me committing to the mission of Riser and Tread and trying to help youth men mental health because I want no part of like a spotlight on me. I didn't even have a wedding for that reason, right? Because I didn't want to be the center of that attention. So the only reason we do these things is because we're trying to help people because if it comes to my personality and preferences. I want no part of a spotlight. I want no part of a, being a podcast host. I want no part of, of, of a Twitter spaces where people are going to ask like, that's just not what I kind of want personally for my life, but I care about helping people. And for that reason, that's what we want to do. But you get a lot of people who are really hell-bent on making themselves a brand uh, brand as a person, as a therapist, right? Now, there we've talked a lot about athletes as brands, right? And how these days professional athletes kind of have to build their own themselves as their own brand. I think that landscape maybe suits itself better to that. But even that, we've talked about the challenges and struggles when it comes to overall wellness and, and the psychological state of athletes having to manage a pro career as an athlete and be a brand at the same Like, that's a lot. I don't think the helping professions is where people should be brands, personally. I don't really think that. I don't think it's necessarily in the best interest of, of more, the most people. Like, should a doctor be a brand? 
I think a doctor should be focused on on doing the work day to day to help people, right? And I th- kind of think therapists are the same way, but there's this huge mo- movement of therapists trying to create themselves as a brand. Um, we've tried to do the opposite, I think, right? We've tried to partner up and build a team um, with a, uh, the lack of a hierarchy and something that's across the board collective in terms of what we're trying to do uh, because we don't want that, right? We don't want to be siloed. Um, so as a result of the whole tab, right, therapist as a brand movement, you get a lot of like, it's not this, but it's that, right? Uh, it's not mental health, it's mindfulness. It's not this, you got to call it that, right? It's like the, the TED Talk uh, titles. And I think it makes sense. It's sort of like the media and sports, right? What does the media and sports do? They, they tend to have clickbaity titles because they got to get you in. There's a little bit of that going on with mental health professionals too, where it's like, who gives a shit what it's called? You know, let's just focus on helping people, right? Like you don't, but the, the system is incentivized for them to have to one up each other by calling it a different name tomorrow than they did the day before or doing this because they have to build an audience and get more people to buy into them. To me, I don't think that's in the best interest of people overall, but that's just my opinion, right? So there's this like kind of over legislation of wellness or helping, helping terms or things like that. Um, so that's the mental health as a massive market, why that's a risk, okay, as the first one. The second one is pseudonymous service delivery. So one of the things I think people are going to like a lot about Web3 is that there is the, the potential to be pseudonymous, right? Meaning, you know, people know you as your NFT or as your handle name, but they don't really know you. You're not what they call doxed, meaning they don't actually know. Some people in the NFT world stay doxed. They don't or stay undoxed. They don't want to be known. They don't want people to know their real name. They'll, like there's one guy that goes by um, G Money, who I think is in the, the Psychedelics Anonymous community as well under maybe a different Twitter name. But he goes by G Money. Like no one, you know, I don't think he wants people to know his name. I think there are some benefits to that, right? You keep yourself, uh, you know, pseudonymous. People don't really know the ins and outs of your life. Uh, that way, when you go out into public, right? We talked about athletes. It's like they imagine if, you know, I mean, you see athletes' faces. So even if they didn't, they somehow had a pseudonymous name, you wouldn't be able to hide that. They have to go out into public and they get mobbed. They can't live a normal life. So I think that's why people who in Web3 who might be big, might have a huge following on Twitter kind of want to stay pseudonymous because it allows them to like have a life and have privacy. Totally respect that. From a therapy perspective, if there's therapists in the metaverse at some point pseudonymously doing therapy, you can see how that'd be a huge, uh, huge red flag. And I would actually say even the clients, right? If you're working with a person one-on-one, if the client is pseudonymous, that's a problem. I would say, I think mainly for safety reasons, right? We know that in our field, you know, if a client is a safety risk, you have to get them evaluated. You have to get them connected to care because that's important. Otherwise, something bad could happen. They might be a risk. If you don't know who they are or where they are, how are you going to do that, right? So that's something that, like, I don't know how that's going to play out, but in my mind, that's something that's a huge risk for me. Um, the third one is, so we, we did mental health. Uh, mental health is a massive market. We talked about pseudonymous service delivery. And then the third risk is accountability and safety, right? Like, the Wild West can be cool, but where's the help when things go wrong, right? You already see this when it comes to NFTs where, if a person loses, you know, gets an NFT stolen from them, there's not a whole lot of recourse. Like there's no NFT police that are going to go get it back for you. Like that doesn't exist. So that's, you know, decentralization can be great, but it, you know, if you need help, who are you going to call? There is, there is no one really. I mean, sometimes the community can rally around, uh, around that person and be able to support them to get it fixed. But I don't think that's the most common outcome. So those are the three risk factors when it comes to mental health service delivery. Mental health is a massive market, pseudonymous service delivery, and accountability and safety. Let's talk about the pr- potential pros or pros or advantages to this. I got four that kind of came to my mind. One is connecting more people to skilled support, which is possible in Web3 uh, because it breaks down like geographic barriers. Two is possibly using smart contracts to pay mental health professionals, which I'll get to. The third one is increased connection and exchange of ideas can further 
fields, right? It can further the field of, uh, you know, brain science, for instance. And then NFT communities that support specific research can really help rally people, rally resources, rally money around things that actually need that to advance research, right? And that's already happening in a lot of areas. Um, I'm in one NFT community called Psychedelics Anonymous, where you know, they have a lot of other stuff. I'm not going to get into, you know, uh, anyone who probably from that community that's going to listen to this is going to know all these things, but they have, um, it's basically a, it's an NFT as a company. I mean, I think that's where you're going to see it. Up until now, it's been a lot of like uh, profile picture or PFP based NFTs where you buy the NFT, it's artwork, it's digital, there's proof of ownership and you use it as your profile picture on social media and you belong to a group of people who also have one of those. And so it connects you, but it's not necessarily big of a part of a bigger plan or a bigger company. Psychedelics Anonymous is like a legit company. Like you could tell they, they have done this with like with the long game in mind. They're not just trying to get a quick hit, like raise the floor so people can sell their NFTs and make a ton of money. And then that's it. They have a, a plan for what they're going to do. Um, they're going to have in real life events. They're going to have metaverse events. They're going to their main purpose is to um, to raise money, contribute to the advancement of uh, psychedelic assisted research. So that's huge. We've, we've heard a lot about that um, when it comes to mental health. Uh, you know, services, you, the use of psychedelics is, is becoming and is going to be something that's really big and for good reason, right? And we would love to incorporate that somehow into, into our work and trying to help young guys once more research is out and it becomes something that's evidence-based. It's something you hear a lot in our field is EBP or evidence-based practices. Uh, I'm violating the jargon rule, but uh, please allow, John. Um, so that just means that there's been enough research on that practice to mean that it, there's evidence to show that it works, essentially, Right. I wouldn't. I don't think that psychedelic-assisted research is there yet. I mean, it's not even allowed in the U.S. to, to what, to my knowledge. I don't think yet. Um, I believe you can. You know, there's uh, ketamine is used in in uh, treatment of depression and things like that. But psychedelics are not quite yet. They're probably on the way there. I think, which is awesome. And this community supports that, right? So obviously, you're already seeing that happen, where where there's the right. ability to to rally around that. Um, so those are the the main. I had what three risk factors and four potential pros or advantages of mental health service delivery. Um, so I'll, I'll flip to you and see what you think on that. It's a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, for the first, the, the three things that you mentioned, sort of like some of the stuff that we could be looking out for, I think, you know, the model of, you know, you talked a little bit about like the sharks and mental health. And I think like we've seen this model of like when a trend appears, people jump on the bandwagon for the wrong reasons. And I think mental health is no different and it's not, um, you know, not void of people who are potentially trying to do that too. So they're trying to grab buzzwords, target words, and make a quick buck off of mental health um, because it's trendy and popular right now. And I think, you know, our our job is to continue to like have the trend be something that is remains permanent, but that the conversation is purposeful and helpful. And I think we do see a lot of that we do see a lot of people sort of like, you know, like you had mentioned, like, no, it's not mental health. It's, it's this, mm -hmm. not for the sake of trying to help people, but for the sake of, well, if I can get more people to follow me and talk about accountability or whatever it happens to be, then I'll get a bigger following and I'll get, you know, it's it, the, the purpose is for their own branding than it is for the spreading of the importance of mental health as a general topic. And I think we see a lot of that. And I think that's problematic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we're trying, again, we're really trying not to do that. Um, to create ourselves as brand. 
Um, my friends will laugh, and so I'm just going to say it when you were talking about spotlight. I do enjoy the spotlight. I am an extroverted person, uh, so I, I try to, but um, I try to, to hold that in there. But I bet my anyone who's listening who knows me is hopefully falling off your chair or sending me a message right now about how I like the spotlight. Um, at our wedding, I had to do an entrance for the wedding because <laughs> even though my spouse didn't want to because that's just who I am, I like to do that. But um, I think that I like to take that energy and turn it towards something that's purposeful to yeah. help the greater good, not to gr- not to help myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends might disagree uh, to to you know chat me, but um, I think that that's what I'm what we're really hoping to do. And I think that as this mental health wave has like it is fully crashed on top of us, I think it's really important that we remain consistent with that. This topic is for the betterment of everybody not for the few that are trying to create a like a little space for them to brand themselves and i think we see this on social media a lot with like therapists as tiktokers and you know and things like that and i think you know i think there's pluses and minuses to it i think it's great to see more availability and more vision and more people talking about it but i you know it's hard and i think that they're doing it because they're trying to increase their following not because they're trying to increase the 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 message mm-hmm. and i think that that's a big that's going to continuously be a problem. And especially as this continues to grow, it will be even more of a problem. And then especially when you start getting, it's already happening. You're getting big VC companies coming in, dropping tens of millions of dollars into different places and platforms. Um, and it'll be harder to compete as more money comes into that space. So um, I think that's one of the things that, that, that it was really important that you brought that up. And I think that will be a continuous battle that I think you know we're we're strapping up to fight because I think it's really important that we keep a focus of why mental health um, needs to be central focused, but in the right way. Um, and then another one that you brought up about like the, um, you know, synonymous delivery, I think is huge. And for me, that was right aligned with you of like the safety component comes up. Like if you don't know who you're working with and they're talking about harm to themselves or somebody else, you know, that, that goes against everything that we're, I mean, our main purpose is, the best interest of our clients and if we don't know who they are i don't know how that process is really going to work i think um i think privacy is important but i think for the purposes of what our like what we do not knowing who's on the other end of the conversation Mm -hmm. really i think presents a lot of problems yeah um not we're not being able to see them what what you're seeing like some you know digital image of something i mean that you know the connection is really important um, yeah, not being able to see them. Sorry, we just had a little mute uh, on the Twitter Spaces issue. So not not being able to see a client when you're doing work with them is, is super. I mean, it's hard enough, you know, to do this kind of work. You have to be very present. You have to be engaged. You have to be locked in. You have to be paying attention to verbal and nonverbal communication and different signs and things like that. And if you can't see the person, I, that that it's not undoable, but like it does pose a huge challenge. I think for the for the clinician who's trying to help that person uh, as best they can. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll get into like the digital assessment stuff that I've been starting to do just because it's been a need. Um, But I think that, you know, you as an individual, like IRL, like in real life, a real person trying to do therapy through like an image or something else is different. Um, And not to say that it can't be done. And like I said, we'll we're teasing you guys big time um, on the digital assessment um, episode, but well, so I'll talk more about how to do some of that stuff. But I just, for the purposes of like the individual therapy piece, I just, I don't, I see that as being too great a barrier um, to being able to do like that real work. I think at the very base, you know, therapy is about 
self-reflection and being honest with yourself and being vulnerable with some of the things that you're doing. And if you have that mask and barrier up throughout, I, I just see that as being really difficult um, process to get through. I don't see it as something that should be discarded completely. And this is some of the stuff that we'll get into when we talk about digital assessment, because as we're seeing, people's digital selves are real. Um, and how do we treat that with respect um, without losing the real person? Um, and we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll get into some of that stuff um, and incorporate that. It's not about removal of the digital self, but it's about how do we incorporate that into, into real life. Um, and then the, the, the accountability and safety piece too, we kind of already spoke about it, but if we don't know who we're working with, we can't, ultimately we can't, we can't ensure safety for them. And that's, that's, that's kind of a hard line for me. If I don't know who the person is and they're talking about something that's not safe, I've got no way of being able to follow up with them or the people around them or get them to safety. And that's a comfort level I'm not willing to, to go down um, without being able to guarantee, you know, you, you can never guarantee safety, but not knowing who the person is, is that's sort of like a no, a no go for me. So um, those are some of the things I wanted to kind of follow up on. Uh, no, absolutely. One one little piece I want to touch on a little bit more is is that one of the pros or advantages is possibly using smart contracts to pay mental health professionals. I don't know enough about smart contracts to to really get into the detail on that, but you know I know there's the potential to have those set up uh, to in a way that you know similar to the way it's going to help artists, right? There's royalties built in. It can it, anytime it's resold that goes back to the original person. Maybe there's something there. I don't really know. I mean, I think the reason I bring this up is that there is a reality that I think most people don't know to how much therapists get paid. You know, I think this is where like, I think it's really key for people listening to understand the different layers or levels of how this works, right? I think most people will say like, if you're in private practice, oh, you must make a ton of money. Uh, any Anytime you, you run a business, at least in the state of Massachusetts, right? You're getting double tax. You're getting taxed as an individual and as a business. Um, there's also uh, an insane amount of overhead expenses like office space and everything else. And it really whittles that down. Like, you know, it's hard to make money uh, in this and you're helping people. And if you're uh, you know, owning your own business and you're trying to help people, it, it, it can be stressful, right? That's a stressful thing, right? So those are the people that, that go out on their own. You know, when you're working for someone, someone let's say you want to work, uh, you want to work in private practice, but you don't want to do private pay, you want to take insurance. You contract at reduced rates. Then the insurance companies are incentivized to not pay anybody, so they completely screw everyone over. They don't pay claims. They deny claims for no reason. You have to go chase after them. By the time that you're done chasing after them and trying to get paid, you get you make a third of what you're actually contracting with the insurance company to make, and your stress levels are three times as high. Not really a great trade-off. Um, then, you know, if you have like, let's talk. I don't want to say any names of companies, but like the companies that are are big now and are promoting the call therapy. I mean, think about it. We know what they get paid. Those those clinicians get paid somewhere in the twenties dollars per hour. Okay, which if you're if you're taking insurance and you factor in getting you know being whittled away uh, by all the insurance denials, you're probably making in the thirties per hour. Uh, and then you're if you're in private practice and you're doing private pay, you're going to make above that. Um, not by much because of all the overhead and all the other things you have to factor in. But it's going to be more than if you take insurance by by a little bit. And that's why a lot of the best clinicians don't take insurance because. Uh, one, it really cuts their legs out financially, and two, their stress levels are so high by dealing with insurance company denials and tricks that they just can't take it anymore. So you have the the private practice clinicians who don't take insurance. Then you uh, underneath those, you have make a little bit less money if you take insurance. And then if you work for those online companies that that do the the telephone therapy, you're making significantly less than that. Um, so look, while I don't just how we talked about how therapists as a brand, you know, clinicians, doctors. Therapists, I don't think that's where those are the people that should be being brands. 
Um, but you can see why they do it. They do it because that's the, they think that's their only path to being financially successful. Um, ideally, therapy should, in, in my opinion, mental health services should be subsidized by the federal government, right? Or by the state government or both, right? It should, you should be able to pay therapists a fair wage while getting rid of the headaches of, of claim denials and things like that so that they can just do what they're meant to do and what they're passionate about, which is just helping people. I don't think it would take much to set up a situation like that, but that's not the world we live in, at least not in the United States, where that's never going to happen. And because of that, you know, we live in a, a you know, capitalist economy where it, there is a supply and demand kind of thing, and this is not going to change, right? And so I think that matters because if, I think in, the, in Web3 or in the metaverse, you know, these, these NFT communities or these places, these companies are almost better off asking therapists to volunteer. I think you're more likely to get people successful therapists who know what they're doing and are good at it to volunteer. I'm, I know I'd be more likely mm-hmm. to volunteer my time for an NFT community than to be paid what, what the, the rates of like the people that are doing the online phone therapy, like forget about it. Um, I would never do that. I'd rather just dedicate my time, right? If I'm going to go that low, might as well just do it for free at that point, right? And we, we do, I think as a field, I would say the general public expects therapists to work for free more than any other uh, profession, in my opinion. Uh, luckily, I think we're we're the most likely to do it. I think we're you know amongst people in different professions, probably the most likely to volunteer time and, and give back and dedicate time for free. I think I don't have the data in front of me, but usually people in our field want to help people and they're willing to dedicate their time to do so. So, just wanted to speak to that. Yeah, I think that's important too because you bring up the like the texting platforms and the like phone call platforms and things like that in my experience that those are always supplemental incomes for therapists they're never full-time professions where someone is like this is my job this is what i do they're always that supplemental piece to fill to fill the gaps and i don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing like a cyclical thing like one of these companies pops up and it's super popular and then it goes away and then another one comes up and then it goes away and then I think that that is you know again I don't have any of the data to be able to support this this is just sort of an inclination that feels like potentially trying to sort of like okay there is a demand and we'll try to fill it and but it doesn't it doesn't work I don't think and I think that's why we see these different companies kind of like popping up and then going away um, I think that that's sort of proof of like why that platform and system doesn't really work. And I think one of the main things is that it's hard to find clinicians. I would imagine that, I, I mean, I, when the, one of the first platforms came out, I went through the processes with the time that I was looking for supplemental income. I was working full-time in schools. I had like some clients private practice before we had partnered up um, and looked into doing it. And it was a massive headache, massive headache for me as a clinician to sign on and do like the trainings and things like that. And then, you're getting like twenty to thirty dollars an hour to to meet with people who are at some of their like lowest moments, and that's, you know, I think not. <laughs> it's not okay. Um, and I think that you'll see a lot of people who will go through that whole process for clinicians, and then be like, well, why am I doing all this for that? And you've got to be able to make it work, or to be able to actually have it be worth it, you've got to be taking on enormous amount of clients, and that's going to lead to burnout. We we talk about burnout in our field a lot, but you know, a lot, a, a very common thing for clinicians in our field is to have multiple jobs to be able to to be able to financially support themselves. And I think that's one thing that really needs to change. And I don't see the talking like app based 
therapy piece as being something that's going to be like a full-time profession, at least right now, how it operates now. That could change potentially the metaverse pieces of something that could that could change that. As of, as it exists right now, I see it as a really difficult thing for that to be able to work properly and for clinicians to be able to make a full-time wage at what they deserve to be paid working working properly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with you. I think you, you hear more and more stories about you know, those companies uh, making promises they can't back up, right? They promise clinicians that they will handle their legal fees if they get sued for doing therapy across state lines because that's what they're doing. They're uh, connecting therapists to clients across state lines, which is illegal. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, and they say, well, it's okay, though, because we'll, we'll, we got your back. You know, if, if the boards come after you, which uh, if, you're, if you're betting on those companies having your back when, the, when the, you know what hits the fan, uh, you know, probably not the best tactic to, to make sure you're, taking care of yourself and, and uh, securing your own your own well-being and career because that's not uh, reliable. You hear other promises about uh, money and raises and things like that and all of a sudden the company is either folding or they don't have, they ran out of money or because these startups they'll, you know, the startup landscape is all about making promises that you don't you know you know won't necessarily back up. You hope you can. You're going to keep blindly going towards that until you do right. someday but the odds of you actually doing it like that's built into the startup machine. Right? You have to keep you know, touting that uh, potential and selling people on what you're going to be someday, uh, knowing full well you're not there yet. And like the odds of it happening are pretty slim. I think like not what 90% of startups fail or whatever. So um, that is definitely something that's, you know, a shifting landscape. And and it's something we've talked about before. I want to get into the mental health of the people in the metaverse. We talked about, you know, there's two meanings to mental health in the metaverse, quote unquote. One is mental health service delivery in Web3, and the other is mental health of the people in in the metaverse, so collectively and individually. I think that's in general, but also because of the impact Web3 might have on people, right? So in general, I think this group of people that are in Web3, at least right now, like the early adopters, uh, they're bullish on mental health. This is what's been cool about being in this community just over the last, it's been four or five weeks for me, not very long. Uh, I think it's a great sign that people in this landscape seem to value mental health. They get the importance of it. They ask great questions. You know, I was on a couple uh, Twitter spaces, you know, like Mental Health Mondays for the uh, Psychedelics Anonymous community. And it was really cool because the people in the audience were like asking really, really pointed, interested, interesting questions that like there was a couple questions where I actually had to pause. And I'm like, I don't know if I have an answer to that. Which doesn't happen very often. I think that's like the like not that I know everything, but usually I can I can speak to things related to mental health because I I'm passionate about it. And we talk about this stuff every day. But there was one or two questions where I'm like, wow, that is like a it's a sign of a good, a good question. If it makes you pause and really like, I might have to come back to that and give it mm-hmm. some thought because I don't want to say something too quickly because it's such a nuanced question that I I really need time to reflect on it. So it was really cool to to be part of that. Um, you know, so the fact that this community in general, the early adopters, have that. Um, we know how important that is. Contrast that with some that we work a lot with young guys. Usually there's a wall up to some degree about mental health in general or getting access to care. If there's no wall up about mental health or as that is a topic or wellness in general, that kind of thing, the path to progress is so much quicker, right? So we're pretty good about getting that wall to come down for, for the guys we work with. But if it's not there at all and people are, are bullish on mental health, then that's a huge advantage, right? So in general, I think the, the people who are early adopters of Web3 and NFTs are, are aware of mental health, um, maybe have a higher EIQ, that kind of thing. Um, no data on that, just my initial impression. Um, yeah, yeah and, and it's interesting too, like that's that's encouraging to hear that mental health is just like 
a part of the dialogue. Like it's just a part of the community. They un- they understand the importance of it. And it's just a, it's just a part of it, which is great. We're not doing that heavy lifting of like this is important to talk about, which I think you and I talk about all the time. Of like that's kind of where we feel like in the general public, um, and it's really encouraging to hear that that's a shift. My question is um, around like how do we maintain that, right? Because I think with everything that starts off in a, with good, I think that people will try potentially try to maybe try to monetize this. And this is a place I don't really know too much about the metaverse, but I'm curious if you have thoughts around like how best do you feel like to maintain that, to, to maintain the, the idea that mental health is just a part of the conversation within, within the constructs of like the metaverse and web three. It's a great question. So I would divide it between NFT communities and then other non NFT web three kind of things, right? Because I think right now a lot of the metaverse is is NFT based communities. I think what you're gonna see is a lot of non NFT companies, right? You're already seeing this companies that just exist IRL buying up digital space in the metaverse and planning the creation of their metaverse product, right? Their metaverse concept. Okay. Uh, almost like a split off startup within their own company of something they could build within the metaverse. Right. I think that's gonna be different. That is where I'm talking about service delivery in, in Web3. I don't know that that hasn't been determined yet, whether it's just companies in general hopping into the metaverse and creating products or mental health service delivery. Like those things haven't been figured out yet. But then you have like the web, the NFT community. I think not only are the people, the early adopters of NFTs seem, do they seem to be on average much more intel, like emotionally intelligent and into the concept of mental health and huge like buyers of that as a thing and as important. And even from a proactive perspective, most, a lot of the NFT projects right some of them are bigger than others right you have psychedelics anonymous is like a an nft project as a business it's a company right so it's a, it's a it's going it's growing and going to be very very big okay um they have mental health you know built into their mission built into their company a lot of other nft projects large medium and small have it built into their company there's one um called astromojis who i just uh minted i did my first mint okay so you know for anyone listening if you mint an nft it means, and I might be saying this incorrectly because I'm still such a newbie when it comes to this stuff, but if you mint an NFT, it means you actually connected with them, usually on Discord or connected with them on Twitter. Um, you connected your, uh, you know, uh, usually it's MetaMask, but like you connected your uh, what's called crypto wallet. So your cryptocurrency wallet, you have to have one of those. You connected the wallet address to the NFT uh, community, right? and they allow you to mint uh, an NFT of theirs for a certain lower price. That's how usually they start. Now, some ones that have better marketing around them, it's hard to get in on the on the list. They have what are called whitelists, and you have to like, you know, participate in their Discord and kind of shill for them and retweet with tagging people. And it's kind of like, you know, to me, it, it's, uh, it just annoys people, I think, and it's kind of hard to get in. There's a lot of scams too, but that's how you mint an NFT. If you don't mint the NFT, which is kind of like the primary market, you buy it on the secondary market, right? And that's how, up until Astromojis, that's how I've got my NFTs. I go onto what's called OpenSea, which is an NFT marketplace. Uh, it's a centralized, it's a company, so it's a centralized NFT marketplace. And you're, you're able to buy, connect your, your digital wallet there, your crypto wallet, and buy an NFT on the secondary community. Usually you pay more because it's the people that mint it that then go post it on this on the open market to sell it for double what they paid for or whatever. So I didn't mint uh, Astromojis because I'm trying to... Fl- I didn't get into NFTs because I'm trying to flip them for money. That is not what, what I'm trying to do. I got into them because I wanted to push myself to you know, 
learn about something that off the bat does not suit my strengths, right? I'm not a coder or a computer scientist. I'm not tech savvy. I do my best. I work my ass off to try to stay up to date on stuff, but it's not like my natural strong suit. And I didn't want to rule it out. Like I'm the guy who like when, when the iPhone came out, I was like, ah, I'm going to get the Blackberry Storm, right? Huge mistake. Okay. Huge mistake, right? And that was a turning point for me. I'm like, never again. Next time something big is coming along, I'm going to give some effort to actually learning about it. And that's how I got into this. So Astromojis was one where I was like, I really wanted to be, first of all, it hadn't had as much, you know, marketing around it to the point where like everyone and their mother is trying to mint these and get on white lists and super competitive. It's frustrating. They were, their whole mission, 100% is around mental health. So they are, Astromojis is, uh, it's basically, you know, it's run by uh, a guy named, let's see. Um, it's Marwan. So he's a uh, an artist, uh, for an Egyptian artist, and he's done some politically based art. Um, and he's super cool. I mean, you hear him talk, and you can tell like he he knows what he's doing, but he's also passionate and in it for the right reasons. He partnered up with, I think, a mental health professional. Um, I don't know the name off the top of my head, but they're they're creating this thing where if you buy the NFT, it grants you access to a certain amount of uh, mental health related. Um, uh, you know, courses online and things like that, like beyond the the worth of what you paid for the NFT. And then they're going to create a uh, digital mental health concept in the metaverse. I don't know if that, what that's going to look like, but um, they're, att- they're trying to create something in the metaverse that's going to make mental health care uh, accessible for more people and, and at lower cost, which I think is awesome, right? If you can do that, fantastic. So that's something where I got into that. Um, you know, I, I minted that because their mission was 100% mental health. Right. And that's not to say Psychedelics Anonymous is not 100% mental health. It's just a little bit different. Right. They have it's a business. They're really trying to, to just be a business or not just be a business, be a bigger business and also have a huge mental health component. But there's more to it. This one was like, all right, boom, like 100% mental health. I want I want to be a part of that and support that. Um, so you see there's a long winded way to get into the fact that you see these companies, uh, these NFT based companies in the metaverse. A lot of them have mental health related uh, missions and and roadmaps that they show you and they care about that stuff. Now, there's always a risk that some of those companies are saying that because they know it's a hot button term and they'll get you in when in reality they couldn't care less about that. Um, but I don't think that's the majority of what you see. You also see a lot of uh, all women led projects, right? So I bought an NFT called uh, Alpha Girl, which is all, all women led. Um, they have a really cool mission. There's another one called Women Rise that I got into that's it's very similar. I think Women Rise is more about um, raising access to to health and services and care for young females, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, but those are two that I was really excited to be a part of. Um, so there's a lot of like the NFT-based communities, a lot of them focus on mental health. And then the people that are there, the, the ones that buy the NFTs tend to be very, uh, you know, bullish on mental health or they buy in, which is huge. That's really cool. I mean, as I mean, I'm learning as I'm as I'm listening too. I just want to re- just rewind really quickly. The storm was a fantastic phone. So let's not you know flush it down the toilet completely. <laughs> that was that thing was just unbelievable. Um, but I think that the the idea behind this is really cool. And I think what you're seeing and what you're describing is sort of like the for the first time companies building something with part of the foundation being a focus on mental health, which mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever really seen other than, of course, mental health companies at start. Correct, correct. Um, we don't really see many companies. There's a lot of, you know, especially now, I think a lot of companies are trying to like throw it into their company because they know it's a hot topic and like open almost, it, it almost acts as kind of like a checkbox of mm-hmm. like, hey, we cover this, yep. um, but not for the purposes of like really trying to be helpful or 
but more of just like we have to do this now kind of kind of what it feels like kind of like yeah. okay it feels like a roll the eye moment from some of these big companies of like okay we got to have mental health as a part of it um <clears throat> which means that they're really not going to be taking it seriously they're going to have it like on their website and a part of their piece that people can see that they yeah. do it but it's not really going to mean anything and it's not really going to do anything exactly. for them um and so having these companies building these off of the foundation of mental health is really really exciting because i think for the first time we're going to start to see what that means. We're going to start to see what that looks like. And I think I think the expectation will change around what types of supports and what types of like good companies look like and how to set those things up. I think it's really, really exciting. I think the idea of being able to sort of like buy into these organizations that provide these like um, these supports, I think is a really cool concept. And it's only going to go it's only going to go up and become more of the norm. And so I, I think it's a really cool, a really cool idea to be able to do, um, to be able to sort of buy in. And it's really cool. I think you mentioned it was Astro Emoji. Astro Emoji. That being a part of that community gives you access to like resources and courses and things like that. And I think that's a really cool piece of, that's someone who's really thinking about, okay, how do I actually use mental health as a way um, to be able to give back to the people that are in my community that are buying into this, into this NFT um, in a really purposeful way. And I think that education is a great way to be able to do that. And it's cool that these companies are taking this thing or taking it seriously and having some guidance. I think this is where we can provide some some benefit for, for some of these types of companies of like, here's how you can be thinking about setting these things up. But it's really exciting that this has become just like the new norm in this in this space. And I think it's only going to get better. Uh, no, absolutely. And I reached out to uh, his, so his name is Marwan Shaheen. He's the artist behind Astromojis. And they do have you know, at least one um, male mental health professional that I think is uh, helping them. I think he might be an MD. He's helping them lead that kind of side of things. But I did reach out to them um, through Twitter DMs and, and offered to help. I said it for free. I'm like, well, look, we're not, we don't do the podcast. If we ever monetize the podcast, it's always going to be 100% of whatever money comes in is going to be donated to mental health causes. Um, for these communities, we're happy to help. and We're not looking for money on that kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's something where it's definitely exciting to see some of these projects um, unfold. And there are risks, right? We talked about the, some of the, the pros and cons or the, the possible advantages, possible risks. When it comes to mental health of people in the metaverse, I think, you know, because of Web3, we might see mental health impacted in various ways. So I have like five possible pros or possible benefits, and I have four possible risks with those things. So I'll start with the, the benefits on this one. So the, the five benefits I see, one is artists finally having control, right? I think that's absolutely amazing to have... Um, you know, we, I was talking to the photographer we're going to work on uh, for our nonprofit in terms of what his ideas are around creating these photos for the nonprofit that we're going to sell to, you know, 100%. 100% of the proceeds from these things are going to go to funding the nonprofit. Um, and explain, we were talking about NFTs and just, he's a photographer, right? And I, if, you're, if you're a photographer, my sister's an illustrator, she's an artist. If you're a photographer, if you're an artist, if you're a music, musician, um, the ability to regain some control around what you create and, and a digital ownership of your uh, creativity and your material is huge. That is not something that's existed before. Other massive companies own your stuff and they completely screw you over most of the time for it. Now, uh, you know, the artists have control and they're able to be compensated the way they deserve to be compensated, which is awesome to me. I think that's the most amazing thing. That's a huge pro. Um, and it can have an impact on mental health of the, of the artists, yeah. right? Um, but also the people that are, you know, supporting the artists and things like that because it connects them, which we know is helpful. So that's the first one. The second one is the unknown, right? It, yeah, it's the Wild West, which means there's possibilities and potential of not being constrained like you are in real life. Um, 
So that's awesome, right? Uh, there's a flip side to that, which we'll probably get to, but the unknown and just having open imagination and creativity to, to build in here is so, that, that's just something that like fires me up because it's like, you could do anything you want. It doesn't mean it's going to succeed, but like the, there's a clean slate, right? For you to just create. That's two. The third one is identity in web three. So if you can learn, if you can lean more into who you really are. That's awesome, right? Some people might feel more comfortable doing that in the, in the metaverse, that kind of thing. If you end up being someone you're not, then it's kind of risky. Um, so there's, there's definitely a potential benefit or a potential risk. So that's the third one is identity in Web3. The fourth one is making money. As I said, I, I did not get into NFTs to make money. Uh, if anything, when I was spending a significant amount on a couple of these NFTs, I felt pretty good knowing that someone else minted those for a very low price and I paid a pretty hefty price for, for at least two of them. And I was like, good for that person. Like that's excuse my language, but fucking awesome. Like it, they, they probably, that probably means a lot to them. The fact that I can contribute in that way. And then I also get to join a community is awesome to me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, 0% of my mission to get into NFTs was to make money. If anything, it's probably going to cost me a lot more money to buy some of these things, but that's okay because I'm buying into something that I think matters. and I'm willing to spend money on the things that I think matter um, for my own well-being and for my own, my own enjoyment and things like that. Right. So, but for some people, they, they want to be able to make money. Uh, this can be an example of like, you know, using some of your own entrepreneurial sense and creativity to have a, a game plan and go into this landscape and be strategic and put in the research and put in the time, put in the effort and build your own thing so you can take an NFT or maybe you buy two, you keep one, you flip the other one because it goes up because you did the research. Like, that's awesome. It gives people a, an opportunity to sort of have their own side business or that kind of thing that they might not otherwise be able to have. <laughs> To me, that's the coolest thing in the world of giving people that option, right? So the fourth one's making money. The fifth one, to me, is the most uh, is the is the biggest one and the most important, and that's connection for a common cause. One thing that has really caught me off guard in the in the Web three or like the NFT uh, space is that it just combine perfectly combines community plus purpose plus fandom. That to me is something that I don't think I've ever seen anywhere else. You might get two of of those three somewhere, but rarely are you going to get all three and and the fandom piece is all the best parts of of being in, in a part of a fandom group not the worst competitive you know whatever parts okay so like community purpose fandom all wrapped up into this connection for a common cause like that to me is what keeps me wanting to come back and participate and communicate and connect with these people so i think that's like awesome which i'll touch on a little bit uh, later um the cons or the risks like there's there's four for me how do you speak about it to doubters this is a very this is as polarizing I think maybe not as but close to as polarizing as like politics in the U.S. or maybe anywhere for that matter. Um, I think people who are not adopters of NFTs yet almost view it like a skincare Facebook Ponzi scheme, right? You ever had those like people that reach out to you and they're like, yeah, buy, "Buy my thing," and then you you find out the whole structure of the company is like basically one big Ponzi. Like that's how people um, look at NFTs when they haven't learned about it yet. Okay. And I said this on like, a, I think I tweeted it out, like just never underestimate the, the impact that a lack of awareness can have on people's fear, uh, fear, doubt, anger, right? It can cause that when you don't have a, a line of sight to something, you know, that scares people and they tend to be very negative about it. So how you speak to people about it is really, this even relates to the, to the um, Psychedelics Anonymous community. The head guy, his uh, handle is, well, his name is his He's doxxed, so people know his name. I forget his, his Lewis. I think it's Lewis Gale, but he goes by Voltura, and his handle is on Twitter is at BAYC2745, which I think uh, probably stands for Board Ape Yacht Club. I think he was one of the first people to buy a Board Ape Yacht Club NFT. Mm -hmm. 
he actually they had a they auctioned off one of the psychedelics anonymous nfts it was like this gold skull that was like one of the coolest things i've ever seen i'll show you later it was awesome if i had more money i would have been bidding on that thing to to the cows come home because it was like you see it and you're like oh damn it i want that like that is awesome um and they auctioned it off i think the winning uh bid was like eighty five thousand bucks or something like that it was, it was yeah yeah not sniffing that that range um and they were going to donate all 100% of those proceeds from that the sale of that particular NFT to Beyond Blue, which is a – so Lewis Gale and I think Psychedelics Anonymous is based out of Australia. They're going to do some in-real-life events in June in New York, which I'm going to try to go to. Um, but they're based out of Australia. Beyond Blue is a – I think a mental health awareness company. Like they, they – um, I think they're, they're more centered around trying to um, – almost like Same Here. You know how Same Here is like global mental health awareness? We know Eric Cusson is, is the, the head of Same Here. Um, Beyond Blue sounds similar to that. They're trying to raise awareness about, about mental health and reduce stigma and things like that. He was trying to donate to them and it was, it, he almost, he gave them an ultimatum the other day. Like, Hey, if, if you don't accept it within 24 hours, I'm going elsewhere because they weren't sure they want to accept it because it's called Psychedelics Anonymous because it's an NFT community. People are afraid of it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And we know, I'm sorry, but we know mental health professionals who are helping companies in that field are very behind when it comes to techno- technology ad- adaptation. They are very behind. So they're most likely yeah. to be kind of skeptical. So you see that like how you speak to the, to doubters in your family or friend group about NFTs, you have to be very careful. It could actually cause like, I could see it causing arguments. People will roll their eyes, whatever. So that's one thing, one risk. Two is money. We talked about money as a, making money as a possible benefit. It's a huge risk. There is always a the potential. There's an element of gambling to this. If you're going in to try to make money, you are in effect gambling. It's it's no different than uh, stock trading or you know gambling on sports. I would say maybe stock trading is a little different than gambling on sports, but they're essentially kind of the, you're taking a huge risk. You don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you have a chance to make money. If you're living beyond your means when it comes to the bets you're making on NFTs, a lot of these projects are going to go down to zero. You don't know, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're taking leaps that you can't back up with your checking account, that's a huge risk. And I know that Coinbase just partnered up with MasterCard Dude, if the credit cards get into this landscape and they allow people to buy NFTs and, and stuff with credit cards, like forget about it. You're gonna, uh, to me, that worries me a lot. I think that's gonna be, it could cause a lot of debt to start to pile up. But yeah. so that's the second one. Third one is FOMO. There's definitely a FOMO component to here, okay? And it hit me when you're going on and you see this community and you're like, oh, I want to buy in. You want to get one, but there's these delays. Like for instance, when you're taking money from your checking account to your Coinbase account, you're taking U.S. dollars and you're putting it on your Coinbase account. Okay, so you connect, you link your checking, you put on your Coinbase account. At that point, you then have to take the U.S. dollars on Coinbase and buy Ethereum. Because to buy most NFTs, you need Ethereum. You can't, you, you can't use U.S. dollars, at least right now. They'll probably change that. But so you have to put it from bank account to Coinbase. Then you got to buy Ethereum coin with your U.S. dollars on Coinbase. Once you do that, they make you wait seven days until you can transfer it to your crypto wallet. A lot can change in seven days in the NFT community, Johnny. Okay. Like, yeah. you know, um, so you're waiting. It's like day four. This actually happened to me. It's day four. I know what, what I want to buy. You start to see the floor price, right? The lowest price on that community start to rise. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I, I wanted to get in at this price. Now it's doubled. And you start to like, it, it leads to a FOMO kind of reaction where you're like, am I going to mess out on this just because Coinbase sucks and they won't just give me my money? Right. So that, that can happen. Uh, and so, that's sitting there, not being able to actually change things. It, it, it's kind of frustrating. So FOMO is the one, uh, the third one. And then the fourth one is lack of balance and too much dopamine. This is definitely a thing, right? We know on, on social media that dopamine release is kind of constant. 
never is that more uh, uh, clear than in the NFT community, where again, you're trying to buy these NFTs and you're joining discords and you're following people on Twitter. It's constant, right? So those are the four risks, right? How you speak about it to doubters, living beyond your means monetarily, FOMO, and then lack of balance or too much dopamine. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of really great points and I'll just touch on just to touch on a couple of the ones that really stood out to me. I think first and foremost, the one the first one you started with in terms of the pros of what this community can do is ownership for the artists. I think that's always been something that's been lacking and a problem, right? For artists trying to maintain control of their work has been almost impossible. So I've a few friends who are artists and it's like a difficult landscape because it's hard to maintain that and once the artwork is gone from you if that is resold you not getting anything from that and then with with this being able to have a a percentage of that being able to come back to you all the time every time it's sold is a really is a huge benefit for the for the artist and i think that's a really cool component of what you what you're able to do so that artists feel like they can still continuously like live through their art of stuff that they've sold it's not just out there and gone they get to continuously be be a part of that i think that that's really 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 cool um, and then the last one that you talked about, I think, is is really interesting. I think this will be something that we'll sort of continuously see. And I think the companies that do it well will will stand out. And the ones that do it for the wrong reasons, I think, will be highlighted quickly of, um, you know, this you talked about the the combination of fandom and purpose and community. And there's certain companies that's, that, that you seem like the, that are doing it really well. Um, and this space being able to provide landscapes for that, or like this digital land is really a cool, a cool concept. Um, and being, having a group of people, right? Like it's always just about connection, right? And, and having another place for people that have similar interests, similar purposes coming together for the benefit of all, for, for, for more or for other people, I think is really, really cool. Um, and you know, it's, it was Facebook groups a long time ago, and you know now it's something that's it's it's a little bit more um, a little bit more in depth, and I think it's a really cool outcome of this, and it's really cool that it's a that it's something that's being sort of built into the fabric of NFTs. So it's not something that's like it like we talked we just talked about. It's not an additive. It's something that's just a part of it, and I think that that's a really that's a really cool piece. One of the things just just quickly to touch on some of the negative pieces is that. I see the gambling flipping NFTs piece as being something really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't, I'm not quite up to speed on like regulations and oversight and things like that. I imagine like everything else, it's probably behind, but I could see this becoming a real problem for a lot of people and sort of seeing it as like, oh, this is the next, like you mentioned, the wild west of people going out there searching for gold and ending up in dry land and not being able to have the means to be able to support themselves after they've made this big jump into the into into this space i could see a lot of that happening um especially people um you know who have tendencies or propensities towards that type of a space they've already into gambling or they're already into sports betting or they're already into stock trading and this they seeing this is like just another another place to be able to do the same type of stuff um, I could see that being a real problem for for a lot of people, like sort of writing a check they can't cash, um, and being able to, and then putting themselves into a real into a real hole, and then what? <laughs> um, I think that's definitely something that we'll have to continuously be sort of like looked at and tried to understand a little bit different or a little bit more because that I think is probably what I think about this when I talk to other people or try to learn about this this is that's one of the big that's one of the biggest things that comes up for me of like people getting in there thinking they're going to make millions and millions of dollars off of nfts and writing these big checks for these things because they think it's gonna it's gonna come back for them and then it doesn't and then you're out that money and 
Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that um, there are, I think if done right, and if the conversation remains central and focused on how to highlight the things that, that can be really beneficial from this space and really try to be aware and mitigate the risks, I think it's a really cool opportunity for something to be really impactful for a lot of different people, especially the people who are creating the art. I think that, that this, is, this is one of the first times ever um, that there's been this much control and ownership of, of your artwork. And I think that that's going to be, you're going to start to see a lot more people start to get artists Definitely. get into this. And it won't be like this side thing that artists are like working at some job and then in their studio on the weekends painting or doing art or whatever, this is going to become something that's like, I can actually make a real full-time living doing what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just a really cool thing for them. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the gold example is definitely like, you know, uh, the Wild West and people digging for gold and things like that. I think the one difference, uh, other than the obvious, right, in terms of time and, and that kind of thing, is that I think in the NFT world, you have other things that supplement the search for the gold that you probably didn't have in, in the, the actual like gold rush kind of times, right? There's, I think it's less dangerous overall. Um, and I think you have people that are kind of there for each other and, and that community, that connection aspect definitely I don't think was there in the, in the gold piece, but it's definitely there in the NFT world. So that being said, there's definitely the gambling piece is a huge risk. And there's also there, there can be theft. Right? There is risk that if you click the wrong link in a discord DM, like, you know, people should probably just be staying. The advice I've seen is just stay away, from, like turn off your direct messages in discord because people will try to message you. They'll say, click on my link to mint this NFT. And it really just has some some scam in it that's going to drain your MetaMask wallet and be able to take all your money or your NFT. So that happens. Um, there's definitely been some things that happen on there. there I think the, the landscape is trying to figure that out about how to keep people's things safer. Um, but so because so that relates to let's get into like we'll finish up today by just talking about suggestions for how to stay healthy in Web3. So, I mean... I don't know all the answers, right? We're just trying to like kind of spitball a little bit on what we think what would lead to a person staying more healthy overall, uh, whether that's mental health or in general when it comes to their, you know, their meandering or exploring uh, into uh, Web3 and NFTs. One is just knowing the benefits and risks. And we've talked about that this whole, this whole podcast. We've talked about the benefits and risks. So if you're aware of those things, that instantly keeps you in a safer place, right? We know how adjustment is very hard for people on their mental health. When things go wrong, there's an adjustment that has to happen. If you're not aware of the risks in, in, in an NFT or a Web3 world, things are more likely to go wrong. When they go wrong, then you have to adjust. If you're not in a great place to adjust to that, boom, mental health challenges are going to pop up, right? So if you know the benefits and risks like anything else, you're in a better place. Get informed, right? How do you find out about what how to stay safe or like listen to podcasts, listen to some of these Twitter spaces? Like there's an NFT 365 podcast that's great. It's a daily podcast. Which, if I can just say for for a second, we know how much work goes into just doing this, and we record biweekly. To do a daily podcast, I don't think the people like that are <laughs> listening to that dude's podcast have any idea how much work must go into that. Uh, kudos to him, but like, oh my god, he's not gonna have any balance to his life for the next year. He's also very, um, very uh, open about having ADHD. He's someone that talks about ADHD a lot. Awesome. He actually created within his, I'll get more information on this, but within his NFT community, he created NFTs and he created a, what's called a creator coin. So it's like your own within NFT version of a cryptocurrency, but it's in that NFT community is where you can use it to buy merch and things like that. It's called the ADHD coin. Love we, it. Should, we, we should talk about this more afterwards. But uh, so that's something where that podcast, I've listened to that podcast. It's great. It's daily. They're usually like 20 to 40, 20 to 35 minute episodes. Um, he gets into really helpful stuff about what not to do. And he's, he's pretty good about saying like, look, I'm not giving you advice. I'm just talking to you about things. 
do your own research kind of thing. But like he's great about pointing out what to do and what maybe not to do. Um, so get informed, listen to the right podcast, talk to people that know more. Podcasts, I think these types of things are probably more reliable. If you get into a conversation with some of these people on Twitter, you don't know who's trying to actually take advantage of you, and that that's a risk. The third one, uh, suggestions for how to stay healthy in Web3 is like hope and excitement are great, but expectations are very risky. We've talked a lot about the how expectations are, are kind of a, um, a risky thing to have in place, right? And so this relates to the Psychedelics Anonymous community. Like I joined that community. I'm hopeful that this story they've woven and the, the future of the business and, and what they're trying to do works out, but I don't have any expectations that it has to. Mm-hmm. And that that enables me, that positions me to be okay if, it, if and when it doesn't. A lot of these companies are not going to succeed in what their missions are, just like any other business, probably even more volatile. How, what percentage of businesses fail in the first year, right? It's like 80 or 90%, 80%, I think. Um, I would say less than 5% are around, less than 10% are around in three years. In the NFT community, I think it's even even a, a larger discrepancy, right? So a lot of these companies are not going to make it necessarily, okay? And, and if we have expectations in general, but also tied to our money that we've invested, we might end up very, very disappointed because expectations just leave you really in a rough place if it doesn't work out. Great. Uh, fourth one is play the long game, monetarily and in general. Like if you're trying to just like strike gold and hit, hit big in two seconds and, you know, spend 300 bucks to flip it for a million in, in three days, you're probably going to end up disappointed. I think playing the long game in general and with your money, buy into projects that you think you are going to be around in a year. Buy into projects that like you're getting more out of it than just the possible financial return because then you're covering your basis and you're balanced. The fifth one is uh, stay balanced, right? Be intentional about when and how often you let the dopamine release take place and do a detox here and there. We're going to do a future episode where you really do the entire episode on that concept. How do you do a digital assessment of, of your activity online on social media and how do you be more intentional about how and why you're doing things, who you're following, and whatever, so that the you know negatives are are neutralized more? And the last one is be adaptable, right? The landscape is changing fast. Don't be fixated uh, and stuck on like have things having to go one way. Be flexible and and read the 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 winds of change, so to speak. Uh, so those are my six. Know the benefits and risks. That's one. Get informed. That's two. Three is expectations are risky. Uh, hope is great, but expectations are risky. Four is play the long game. Uh, five is stay balanced, and then you know, and intentional with how you use um, tech. And then sixth is be adaptable. Yeah, I think that's. I think the the expectation piece you talk about is really is really huge, and especially because it seems like the whole reason that this these communities are being so successful is that there's this unified purpose behind them too. So if you're getting into these places with the expectation of striking gold. You're probably in there for the wrong reasons, really, because it sounds like um, for a lot of a lot of people who are buying into these, they're buying into the idea of what this company is going to be able to to do, not because they're looking to make a quick make a quick buck. And so, buying into them for the purpose of like I believe in this purpose of what they're trying to accomplish, rather than I believe in this company or because mm-hmm. they're going to make me a ton of or a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. That's that feels like that's going to be something that people. I think will be really important. I think managing your expectations, and we talk about this ad nauseum about all the time. I think if you go into it with, I'm I'm taking I'm purposely putting myself in a position to contribute to um, to this vision. I think is much more meaningful than I'm going into this with the idea of making a lot of money. And then because if it doesn't, then you, then you you go through this like oh man I didn't make a lot of money versus well you know what I put myself out there to 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 be a part of this purpose and part of this vision and it didn't work out. That's okay. Let me try it in a different way or a re a reshift or pivot lanes or things like that versus, Oh, this was like a monetary loss for me. 
No, absolutely. And I think there, I am not going to pretend like I have the answer to that, like the, the line between two things. I think the line between two things here financially is like, I think we've talked about this with business. Like you, sometimes you have to take risks. You have to take big swings and might they fail? Sure. But if you just sit on the sidelines, like you're never going to accomplish shit. So sometimes you have to take big risks. There's a line between that and, you know, how do I know that if this fails, I'm going to be okay? I think you have to know that line, right? Whether it's someone, I forget who said this, but like, I think it was, man, it might have been Shaq or like Snoop Dogg, some athlete or music, uh, you know, rapper, I think said like, if I can't buy two of them comfortably, I'm not buying one. I always, that always stuck with me. I'm like, all right, that, that kind of makes sense, right? If you can buy two of something, then it's okay to buy one. If you can't, you probably shouldn't be buying one, right? And I think this relates to some of these, these projects where it's like, I think it's great. We talked about it earlier in, the, in this podcast where it's like the NFT community in this landscape is giving people an opportunity. I mean, obviously, it's giving artists uh, an opportunity to make money the way they deserve to make money. Okay. But it's also giving other people an opportunity to have a side hustle and be able to like be strategic and do your research and take chances and make some money off. I think that's fucking awesome in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to backfire on some people? Sure. But the fact that it gives people the opportunity to try to do that instead of just maybe working nine to five and what it like. I think that's actually a great thing. Does it bring risks? Absolutely. But at least it gives people an opportunity to kind of participate. And again, the biggest thing is the artist and how it gives back to people that create stuff. And before, probably didn't have an audience or someone else owned their material or their IP or whatever. And it, it, it always screwed them over. The system was designed to kind of screw them over. Now there's these smart contracts and things that allow people to really um, you know, make the money that they deserve. Right. So so we've covered a lot. We talked about um, you know, what, what is meta, mental health in the metaverse, right? We broke that up into mental health service delivery in Web3 versus the mental health of the people individually and collectively in Web3, two very different things that I think are related, but are, are, are definitely separate. And then we talked about, you know, suggestions for how to stay healthy in Web3, um, you know, that we just covered. So we're going to have this, it's recorded. Um, we are going to stay after for a few minutes for uh, anyone who wants to ask questions about this. So I'm going to wrap up the podcast now just in terms of the, the outro, but then we're going to stay after in case anyone has questions on the podcast or on, on mental health in general, mental health in the metaverse, what mental health means, that kind of stuff. All right, so I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Grim Drive podcast uh, where we covered staying healthy in Web3 and NFTs, and we'll be back next week. Bye.